Welcome to Montrose Podcast, the official podcast of Montrose School here in Medfield, Massachusetts, where girls are called to greatness. I'm your host, Mary Cahill Farella, and I'm very happy that you can join us. Maybe you're an avid supporter of Montrose, a current parent or a friend of the school, or maybe you're new to Montrose, an independent school for girls in grades 6 through 12, inspired by the teachings of the Catholic Church. Here, young women achieve academic excellence in a rich liberal arts environment by developing enduring habits of mind, heart, and character. Thanks for joining us as we explore topics that highlight the impact of a Montrose education and how it affects the world around us. Commencement is always an emotional day, and the 2019 festivities at Montrose were no exception. The culmination of a Montrose education is truly a high, with the white caps and gowns flowing and the long-stemmed red roses signifying that something truly special is going on. With the full school in attendance, our seniors took in the powerful words of both keynote speaker Dr. Johanna Pirzada, class of 1986, and valedictorian Caroline Cherney, proud member of the graduating class of 2019. Here's head of school, Karen Bolin, introducing Dr. Pirzada. As a Montrose student, Johanna Pirzada had a passion for science. In her upper school philosophy and theology classes, she learned to reflect on the larger questions in a way that lay the groundwork for a career combining medicine and ethics. A member of the class of 1986, she stays in touch with her Montrose classmates and teachers. Former faculty member Pat O'Donovan remains a dear mentor and friend. Johanna earned her undergraduate degree at Dartmouth College. Later, she taught science at our sister school in Washington, D.C., where her colleague, Mary Jane Rice, now Montrose 25-year veteran, befriended her. Johanna went on to pursue medicine and graduated from Dartmouth Medical School and then earned her MPH at Harvard School of Public Health. She trained in pediatrics and completed a fellowship in bioethics at the National Institutes of Health. Today, she is a pediatrician and hospitalist, highly respected for her research and leadership. She serves on hospital ethics committees at Children's National Medical Center and Children's Hospital Boston. She consults on ethics education at all levels of medical training. We reconnected with Johanna when she agreed to speak at a career night for alumni. I was delighted when she and her husband, Joseph Baker, brought their daughter, Julie, to their very first open house. Julie is here with us today with the class of 2023. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Johanna Prasada, an accomplished leader in the field of medicine and ethics, a member of the Montrose class of 1986, a woman who lives out the call to greatness, Johanna.
Thank you so much, Dr. Bolin. Good morning. Welcome to the class of 2019. I'm delighted to be here. Welcome to the rest of Montrose, to everyone else here who has helped you and loved you and guided you along your way. It does feel a bit crazy for me to say the class of 2019, because I was in the class of 1986 at Montrose, which feels like forever ago, and let's be honest, was forever ago. <laughs> I went to Montrose when I was only a few years old. Dr. DeTore was the head of school when it started. We were in Brookline in a old college building, which was a tad run down. You know the bathroom you have next to the cafeteria, the raise the paddle bathroom? Basically, the whole school looked like that bathroom. <laughs> I felt really at home in there today. <laughs> we had Father Dick as our chaplain, though, and he made up for everything. And we had smart, incredibly dedicated teachers, and we made friendships that have lasted to this day. I still go out to dinner with my Montrose classmates all of the time. And right at the beginning, Montrose had this amazing ability with very little money, but with the elbow grease and the vision of many parents and dedicated teachers to be scrubbed into a classy and elegant place. When I came to Tor Montrose with my fifth, uh, sorry, my fifth grade daughter a few years ago, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I had been living in a different state for a long time, so I hadn't really seen the progress in the school. I was happy to see that the vision of the school is still really clear and strong and that it has improved in so many ways, but without losing that personal warmth of the early days. I will tell you that you, Montrose students, particularly you upper class women, girls, I don't know what you're supposed to say right now, um, <laughs> I will tell you that you are an impressive bunch to watch at the open house and the visiting days. We looked at many other schools, but I was struck by your poise, your ability to be articulate, to look me in the eye, to be confident, to say what you liked about this class or that. And watching the students in the upper classes in particular, I said to myself, that's how I'd like my daughter to be someday. That's how I'd like her to speak and act when she gets older. And this is the kind of thinking I hope she'll be able to do when she heads off into adulthood. I hope she likes this place best. And she did. So I'm going to take this moment to thank you personally for that. When I was in your place, I didn't realize that graduating from high school and moving on to college was the last time I'd make the same basic life transition as all of my friends and peers. And it's true that in high school, you do have some choices about which classes you take and what you choose to do in your free time. But as you start college, your options really explode. And you can find yourself having completely different experiences than your friends at the same school, let alone those who have chosen to study elsewhere. One friend, for example, loved Greek and Latin, worked at an archaeological dig in Greece, and is an archaeologist today, brings his students there. I spent my first two years taking the pre-med track, learning to speak Russian, and spent a term in what was then Leningrad. One roommate was drawn into the music scene, spent all of her time playing guitar in a coffee, you know, coffee house style on campus, and now she designs soundtracks for Disney movies. So the range of choices is just ridiculously exciting. We're very excited for you. And yet sometimes it can be a little scary because at the same time you're trying to explore and try new things, there can be this mounting pressure to have your whole life figured out, your plan. 
In college, I felt that I had a bunch of random interests, the Russian, the pre-med, philosophy, which was my major, a job in the theater, another one as a tutor in the writing center. And as I neared the end of college, going to med school didn't seem possible, or to be honest, even interesting. I didn't know one thing about being a doctor. Didn't have any doctors in my family. There were people in pre-med who had known since the crib that they wanted to be surgeons. They had a determination and a focus that I couldn't even really imagine at that point. The only experience I had doing anything medical was actually kind of an accident. It was the summer before my senior year in college. I was inspired by what another student had done and followed in her footsteps to work for Mother Teresa in Calcutta. My plan was to work in her orphanage uh, each day, which I did at first. She wasn't in the city that summer until the very end. But I felt that the sisters at the orphanage didn't really need my help. It was kind of like a well-run machine. And it turned out that across the street from the hostel where I stayed, there was an English doctor who had set up a clinic on the sidewalk to take care of the thousands of people who lived on the street, rows and rows and rows of people sleeping on the street every night, men, women, and children, many of whom had leprosy. So after about a month, I just crossed the street in the morning and worked in Dr. Jack's clinic instead. And there I learned what it felt like to be a doctor, not really in terms of the actual job, because there are light years between what I did there and what I do now. You know, they're scraping skin off feet on a filthy street and here managing asthma in a clean and shiny hospital. But what I learned though was what it felt like to be a doctor. How it felt to have an incredibly vulnerable person really trust me, a complete stranger. I realized my motivation to help shouldn't come from a place of pity, but from a desire to deserve their trust. Dr. Jack really modeled that, as did the Sisters of Charity. Mother Teresa was trying to love people whom the world considers unlovable. And she was helping them because she saw indignity in them, not because she felt sorry for them. She felt they deserved her love. So going back from my senior year in college, I didn't have a coherent life plan still. I lined up a summer teaching internship at a boarding school, but while everyone else seemed to have moved on to grad school or jobs or maybe a great adventure backpacking through Europe, I was a bit adrift. I was rocking a three-month plan. <laughs> there were two people who eventually made everything different, and I want to tell you about them for a reason I'll explain in a minute. The director of the writing center where I had worked at Dartmouth asked if I would return in the fall to be an assistant teacher in an English course. And she assigned me to a professor, Don Sheehan, an older professor of poetry and English literature. He also happened to be a recent convert to Russian Orthodoxy. He had a long white beard, very, very long, down almost to his knees, little round glasses. He looked like Tolstoy. And my job was to attend his class, to read the books, and give each student feedback on their papers. So the thing about Don Sheehan is that he was brilliant, he was incredibly peaceful and wise. And he had the kind of peace and humility that comes from hours of prayer, which he did all morning and all evening. We met before each class and talked about Brothers Karamazov, which is what we were reading. And sometimes Don asked me how I thought he should teach the class that day, which was really nice of him because I was 22. <laughs> and Don recognized that I was pretty lost, not just in terms of career, but also personally, that I was doubting myself and feeling really isolated. So in an empty space, Don had a profound effect on my life. He taught me how to be a teacher. He nurtured my faith and my confidence at a really low point. In his presence, I felt completely known and seen, the good and the bad parts. 
the way a really humble and holy person can see, yet I also felt completely accepted and loved at the same time, the way I imagine God loves. And that's how it was with Don. So that was a crucial year of growing. After that year, I applied for the position teaching science at Oakrest, your sister school, and decided to take it. A salary. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> but I couldn't afford to live on my own in DC. I found an ad on the message board of a nearby college and ended up living in the home of a Dr. Catherine Bain, who told me to call her Kitty. She actually gave me free room and board in exchange for walking her dog and making dinner twice a week. It's a pretty good gig. When I moved in, I assumed that Kitty had, was newly retired. She was very active, she had tons of friends, season tickets to the Kennedy, all of her own teeth, no gray hair. <laughs> she was super sharp. My mom said all of this was because she never married or had kids. <laughs> she was in perfect shape, except for one bad hip, so she had trouble walking the dog. I found out after a couple of weeks that Kitty was 94 years old. I was shocked. Her older sister used to come visit, Mariah was a hundred and something. And the, the only problem with Mariah is she couldn't see very well. So I used to walk Mariah and the dog on those days. <laughs> she was born, so Kitty was born in 1897. She went to college in 1917. She was the only woman in her medical school class. She couldn't get a residency for a few years because back then residents lived in the hospital, that's why it was called that. And they didn't have quarters for women. She was the first physician to have a non-segregated rating room in DC. She did research on childhood diseases all over the world. The first award that C. Everett Koop, who was the Surgeon General in the 1980s, uh, gave, the first award was to her for medical service to the country. And of course, she didn't tell me any of this. I found this out from her relatives as I lived with her. Yet Kitty wasn't self-conscious about doing all of this as a woman. It never occurred to her she couldn't do any of these things, even though it was extraordinarily unusual for a woman to be doing them at all. I taught at Oak Crest and lived with Kitty for two years. She said to me one day, you come home from work, you sit down on the front stairs, and you read my medical journals that come in the mail without even changing first. That's just not normal. <laughs> you should go to medical school. And at that point, it was the natural next step. So I went to medical school and Kitty was delighted when I chose a pediatric residency, and yes, she was still alive then. So towards the end of residency, the opportunity came along to get research and bioethics training to study a question that kept coming up in the hospital, which is whether we should make heroic efforts to keep extremely preterm infants alive, the ones that are born around 23, 24 weeks gestation, really just over halfway through. And as you know, Montrose really encourages students to think deeply and take apart the layers of a problem I felt really compelled to do that sort of thinking and that sort of uh, for decision, thinking about decisions for premature infants. So in the end, all of the strands came together, the philosophy, the pre-med, and the teaching, which is a huge part of medicine. So why am I telling you this whole story? First, because as you go through college, I want you to feel okay about not having everything figured out. Borrowing from a speaker I heard recently describe her own meandering path from law school and the practice of law into a life in politics, sometimes the shortest distance between two points is the long way around. You can only do what you're ready to do, and sometimes you need experience in order to become ready. Right now, you do have the next step figured out, and that's part of what we're celebrating here today. 
but someday you may not. And the solution to not having your life plan figured out is to just do the next thing. Find the next job or experience that will help you grow. It doesn't have to be the thing you want to do for the rest of your life. Show up with your energy and attention, and this is the most important part, do it well. And that will lead you to the next thing and the next. And every job or experience that you plan, or in my case, accidentally back into, can teach you something important, something specific, like how to use a software program, or something more general, like how to understand people whose cultures and values are profoundly different from yours. The second reason I am telling you my story is to show you the importance of mentors. Even those of you who are lucky, lucky enough to know what you want, who are the surgeons in the crib, among you need mentorship to make the best decisions you can. I think mentorship is crucial to finding your way in life. How could I not think that, right? The best mentors are usually not assigned or asked directly to be a mentor. It's kind of an organic process where you and another person, usually someone older, but for sure someone with more experience and wisdom, you develop an affinity, a sense of shared goals and mutual respect, and then that older, wiser person feels inclined to offer you some guidance some opportunities, crucial feedback, even a little therapy, whatever it is. You have heard from younger alumni that you're well prepared for college and life, that Montrose has taught you important skills like critical thinking, and it has, and you've heard that character formation and spiritual growth will be invaluable, and they will. But you should also know that Montrose is very, very good at demonstrating mentorship and the power of genuine relationships. Your time here has been a journey steeped in this. Your teachers and advisors and coaches and priests care deeply about you, and they're striving to live in the best way they can, and they have taken the time to know you and encourage the best in you. Some, as you have said, have acted as academic mentors, some have acted as spiritual mentors, and some are both. But just as important, you have been taught the qualities to make a person, that make a person easy to mentor. What are those? Showing up with all of your energy and attention, being truly engaged in what you're doing, being fully present. Montreal students actually know what that means. You're the kind of people who know how to look for a meeting, to ask, why am I doing this? What's my purpose of here? What's my purpose here? All of this has been such a big part of your time here. So with that, I will end by saying, we are all so happy and excited for you. We wish you the very best, and we, the entire Montrose community, are here for you always. Congratulations. And now a brief highlight from Montrose alum, Natalie Falcao, class of 2017, on how her Montrose education prepared her for the competitive, dynamic atmosphere at the Wharton School of Business at UPenn. So the nature of business is being able to face rejection, I feel like, because all you need is one yes to move forward and sort of advance in your career. But with one yes, it takes a lot of no's. So um, at Wharton, the club atmosphere is very, very competitive, too. It's like about a 2% acceptance rate to get into Wharton clubs. Like, you have to apply. There's, so you need extracurriculars yes, are just as competitive. Yes, yes, exactly. Like, you have to interview three times, sometimes through a stop pitch. So it's going to be very intense. Um, and so there's that. And there's also finding your summer internship, which can be, like, very difficult because you're not sure what industry you want to go in. And then you just keep applying to all these things, whether it be the clubs or the internships. And then you're constantly hearing back no's. And it's sort of hard to keep 
like to stay motivated because you think, oh, like if I really was the best candidate, um, I would have gotten it. Or, oh, like if this really was what I was meant to be doing, I still would have gotten it. But one thing that I found really important was to sort of have that um, reflective capability that I developed at Montrose, sort of being able to step back and say, oh, hey, like, this is definitely all part of the plan, even though, like, it hurts so much now to, like, hear this no constantly while all your friends are getting yeses. It's just important to sort of step back and say, like, hey, like, this happened for a reason. Like, for example, my freshman fall, I applied to a lot of different clubs because I had, like, no idea what I was doing on campus. Um, So I applied to, like, a ton of different clubs and not having any consulting or finance experience going into Penn because, like, what um, like freshman in college has that experience before they step onto campus. I didn't get into that many clubs. Um, I was just part of this one like tutoring organization. Um, but then I realized like later on that gave me the opportunity to make time in my schedule to be a TA. Because if I'd gotten into all those clubs like freshman fall, like I wouldn't have had any time in my schedule to be a TA. And being part of the TA community is like one of my greatest accomplishments at Penn. So it definitely like gave me the opportunity to realize that. For our last commencement highlight, you'll hear from Caroline Cherney, valedictorian of the class of 2019, on her favorite Montrose memories and the great gifts that come from a Montrose education. Good morning, Dr. Bolin, Montrose faculty, distinguished guests, students, family, friends, and the class of 2019. I'm truly blessed to be standing here in front of you today and to be graduating with such a strong, driven class of girls. Before I came to Montrose, I really struggled. I had serious health problems, and I was in and out of doctor's appointments and hospital stays throughout my eighth grade year. Honestly, it was kind of a horrible blur, except for one day. On that day, I visited Montrose school for the very first time. I stepped through the front doors, and immediately two girls from my class Julia Phillips and Bella Rinaldi shouted, hi, Caroline, to me, and I recognized them from middle school. I remember Mrs. Least asking me what I was learning in math and me frantically racking my brain for some kind of intelligent answer. <laughs> I remember Kiki, as class president, rallying my class together to practice their Christmas skit amidst sing-alongs to the classic rendition of Drummer Boy by Justin Bieber. <laughs> And I remember writing an essay about wishing to eat lunch with Amelia Earhart so I could learn where she got all her courage from. But all my mom remembers was seeing the biggest smile she had seen on my face in a long time when I walked out the doors. Over the next four years, that smile rarely left my face. High school is never exactly perfect. You still have to face failed tests, friend drama, and waking up at 6 a.m. or earlier to get to school. But there's something special about Montrose where I can look back and honestly say there's no school like it. I've spent a lot of time in the past couple of days being nostalgic and I realized something. My favorite memories aren't semi-formals or junior ring ceremonies or even proms. The memories that resound in my mind aren't the ones we're told we'll remember. It's the little moments every day that speak volumes about the character of each girl on this stage and even the character of this school. I remember my class dressing up as mimes for a Spirit Week class costume and walking into Mrs. Whitlock's freshman English class, boldly refusing to speak. <laughs> Unimpressed, she handed us a pop quiz for our efforts <laughs> to our utter dismay. 
I remember our class Christmas skit when we faked a Christmas pageant leg injury and turned it into a mass flash mob on stage. I remember Montrose School's inaugural mannequin challenge in Mrs. Young's 10th grade theology class with girls standing on tables and pulling each other's hair and with a kneeling Mrs. Young in the center praying for our troubled souls. <laughs> I remember singing about German unification in AP Euro class to the tune of All I Do Is Win by the iconic DJ Khaled and with Marielle Rosati shredding the rap portion. What I'm trying to say here is you're gonna have a lot of expectations and a lot of dreams. They won't always be fulfilled. And you know what? That's okay. Just remember to keep your eyes open because there's a lot of beautiful things happening all around you. Goals will change and some dreams might be thrown straight out the window, but your values should not. Montrose has taught us that. I'm really and truly honored to be graduating with this class. I never thought I'd graduate from high school and be able to honestly call each member of my class my friend. I have tremendous respect for each of you and I can't believe I'm graduating with such an enormously talented class. I'm graduating with soon to be engineers, doctors, programmers, nurses, chefs, politicians, and psychologists. I'm graduating with the girl that founded the volleyball program here at Montrose. I'm graduating with the girls that spent over 12 hours working on a math challenge. I'm graduating with the girl that captained three sports teams in her senior year to championships. I'm graduating with the girl that spent her April vacation painting sets for the musical. I'm graduating with the girl that led the entire school in a day of service. I'm graduating with the girl that organized Montrose's first voter registration drive. And I'm graduating with the girls who spent their spring break volunteering at an orphanage in Jamaica. The dedication and perseverance of this class is undeniable. And the legacy they leave at Montrose will never be forgotten. On that very first visit to Montrose, I wish to know where Amelia Earhart got all her strength from. Four years later, I know. I know without a doubt. Little did I know, I was about to join a community where every girl was called to exhibit strength and character, but they never did it alone. I leave Montrose knowing that one strength comes from those around you. Four years ago, I could have never seen myself debating about foreign politics or co-captaining a sports team to success. But thanks to this incredible, driven, and passionate class of girls, I have found my own source of strength. As we journey to the next phase of our lives, we won't walk without fear, but we will walk with a boldness of vision and firmness of character that can only come from a Montrose education. We will walk knowing that fear is no match for even the tiniest dash of courage, and we will walk with the unshakable force of the strong community of Montrose women behind us. I cannot wait to watch each of you succeed as you leave here, and I truly cannot be prouder of each of you. Thank you for allowing me the chance to speak before you all today, and congratulations to the class of 2019.
As Montrose Chaplain Emeritus, Father Richard Ryman stated so beautifully in his invocation, may this graduating class take their next steps into a world that needs so much love, peace, and the truth to know who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. Thanks for joining us for this look back at Commencement 2019. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Montrose Podcast. Please subscribe so that you'll be the first to know about future episodes and share the podcast with your friends and family. Donations to Montrose Podcast go directly to tuition assistance, a critical part of our mission to keep Montrose education accessible. Your gift plants the seeds of lifelong Montrose friendships and ensures that each Montrose graduate takes with her a life compass to navigate the challenges beyond Montrose and seize opportunities to shape our changing world. Thank you.